Welcome to the Skin Philosophy Edit with your host, myself, Anna-Louise Kenny. I'm here to bring to you the knowledge and skills to level up your business. We are speaking to industry experts across the industry to make sure that you're getting your knowledge in skincare, equipment, ingredients, and everything else you need to make sure you have the best of your business. Hi, and welcome back to the Skin Philosophy Edit with myself, Anna-Louise Kenny, and today I have Dr. Joshua in. Dr. Joshua has a clinic on 10 Harley Street, and he has very kindly came in to give us some advice and information about all the treatments that are out at the moment and um, what to do and what not to do. So thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So how did you get into this industry at the start? Oof, that's a very, very long story. I'll try to keep it brief. Um, so I, over my, uh, in medical school, during my surgical rotations, I got an interest in plastic surgery, like the finesse and all of that, yeah. um, and kind of delved into it. But it's an extremely competitive, uh, competitive specialty. So I didn't end up um, going into the residency there for training. And then um, split off into maxillofacial surgery, which is you know very similar, but you need to do a dentistry degree after your medical degree. And then okay. during the dentistry, uh, I got into a little bit of Botox and fillers and things like that, um, just out of interest. And then it turned out I had a, I had a real knack for it. Got a job offer in a really big clinic in Rotterdam and Amsterdam because I was in Belgium at the time. Okay. Um, and that snowballed, got like some national press, etc. And then I got headhunted by a big clinic in London yeah uh, and then I had to make the decision like oh do I you know do I stop doing dentistry and just yeah. go straight into private practice in London yeah which at that point I was 26 27 so it was a really big step to yeah because that clinic was also on Harley Street okay so from you know barely graduating to immediately private practice on Harley Street in a big international clinic was a very tempting offer. Big step. Um, so I pondered it for about two weeks and then I said, you know what, let's do it. Uh, yeah. And then I um, packed up, packed everything and moved to London and haven't looked back since. Really? Absolutely. Like Rotterdam compared to London? I l- um, well, I, I, I'm from Antwerp, Belgium myself. Yeah. I didn't live in Rotterdam, but the okay. clinic was there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no comparing to, to London you know th- th- it's 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 such a huge interesting mix of international people yeah. um, the 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 experiences that the opportunities here also you know competition is <laughs> very very stiff because yeah. it is an extremely saturated market uh, in London so it you is. really have to stand out otherwise you know there's yeah, there's and no hope for you. Why do you think like Belgium or even Holland hasn't like developed as fast-paced in aesthetics as much? Um, I would say Belgium is about ten years behind, and Holland mm-hmm. is about five years behind. Um, Belgians generally are people that are very resistant to anything new. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, they 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 really like what's tried and tested and what's old, even though it's not necessarily better. And I see this a lot in the plastic surgery that they're doing there. They're doing these types of really kind of dated procedures usually that um, that people in like America haven't been doing for years and years because it's just, 
hasn't proven to stand the test of time. Like, give me an example. Um, I want to know the juice. Like, like what they say with, you know, like mini lifts, yeah. which is basically a, a skin-only facelift without yeah. addressing the deep plane. Yeah. And, you know, in a young patient, sometimes it uh, can make a little difference. But the, the really, the gold standard is, let's say, a deep plane facelift. I don't know how well-versed you are yeah. in, in the yeah. specifics of Well, I was surgery. talking with a friend about this, having mm -hmm. facelifts. Uh, like, not me, but we're talking about in the yeah. future. And that that's why I want the information. Yeah, you yeah. Know, to so the, the deep plane facelift, yeah. where they address the SMAS, you know, yeah. the deeper yeah, tissues yeah, yeah. and connective tissues and fat pads, yeah. and they pull that back and suspend that, that is really the gold standard. Because if you're thinking that skin, pulling the skin alone is going to affect anything significantly, then you are assuming that the basis of facial aging is that our skin is the hammock keeping everything up. And that yeah. is far no. from the truth. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. If that were the truth, then things like thread lifts, etc., would have a much more impressive result than yeah. they do. And they tend to turn out very underwhelming. Yeah. Um, because they don't address the deeper tissue. Yeah. So b if you do an actual deep plane facelift, tightening the smile, stitching that up, then you would be surprised how little skin comes off in the end. Oh, really? Because the skin excess is actually really moderate. It's just the you're lifting sagging every, yeah. of the deeper tissues yeah. that's causing everything to go down. And the skin loses some elasticity and kind of goes down with it. Yeah. But skin uh, laxity is not the main cause of you know the vertical descent of yeah. in, in facial aging. Yeah, and so if you were saying surgery, so at what stage do you feel that deep plane surgery is best? It's it's that's that's such an interesting thing because people always say like, oh, um, at what age should I do this? At yeah. what age should I do this? And it's completely irrelevant what age you are. Yeah. Like I've forwarded. Uh, it's it's your anatomy. Like I forwarded yeah. once uh, a 29 year old to a colleague of mine, yeah. uh, Dominic Ray, who's an excellent uh, facial plastic surgeon, facelift yeah. specialist, because she just had really heavy tissues, and yeah. I'm like, look, there's nothing that I can inject there that's going to do what you want to achieve. Because yeah. you have a really, you know, extensive consultation yeah. to kind of make sure that we're on the same page yeah. about what a patient wants. Yeah, and then. I'm like, look, there's nothing that I can inject. It's just going to get like barely graze the surface of what you're looking to achieve and it's not going to age well. It's never going to kind of, you're not going to get your money's worth. I think you should speak to this person because they can suspend the tissues, you know, give you a less heavy appearance. She was 29. Yeah. Uh, and I remember because that's the first time that Dominic himself, we're good friends now, but that's the first time he reached out to me and he was like, you know, I was really impressed that you that you spotted that yeah. uh, at such an early age instead yeah. of sending her through the carousel of like energy-based devices, yeah. lasers, high foos, thread lifts, where she's gonna spend thousands and never really get an impressive result and putting yeah. her to unnecessary risks yeah. instead of just straight, you know, immediately going for the one thing that is right for her. And then I have, you know, the 45 year olds that are still holding up perfectly yeah. that aren't gonna need the, you know, a facelift for the next maybe 10, 15 years. Yeah. So it's really down to genetics. You it know? is. And okay, so say with the 29 year old, mm -hmm. do you think that was genetics? Yeah, 100%. Or at nothing? At, at that early age, there's very little external factors that yeah. can make a really significant impact. Yeah. You know, you've got your, okay, you've got your sun damage from yeah. people like, you know, like Australians, etc. People that don't take care of their skin, people yeah. that like the sun, like the sunbeds. Yeah. O of course, they're going to have a lot more sun damage, but it's you know, actual facial sagging, facial yeah. heaviness at that age. That's just genetic. 
Okay, so okay. And I saw what you said, because this actually sits right on top of that, what you said about muscle stimulation and yeah, all yeah, of that. Yeah. So this is like... It's Very controversial yeah. topic this day and age <laughs> with all the new devices yeah. being flung at us. Yeah, there, well, there are some... And to, to be honest, all the devices are all just remixes of old technologies welcome to aesthetics yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everything is a new jacket on an old yeah. uh, on an old completely concept. like really it is but muscle stimulation so i get what you're saying with um botox we're relaxing so firstly i think it's if you can explain why we relax the b- muscles mm-hmm. with botox yeah and then how you know lifting and tightening yeah. won't change that because the top layer of the epidermis still but also this is something that irks me lifting and tightening yeah. is, a, is a term that is so aggressively used in the people selling these devices but where is the clinical evidence of this lifting and tightening yeah. like the photographs that we see they're taking different angles different lighting yeah I, don't know, I, s- I did a really big video about that a while ago about like deceptive photography and aesthetics yeah but can you actually show that there's clinical evidence that these machines have lifted something? Yeah. I don't think you can. That's not to say that some of them don't have their place. Like mm-hmm. I, for one, I have a Morpheus Ada. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with yeah, the frequency microneedling. Yeah. Uh, I've had it myself. I love the device, yeah. but I don't think you can prove that there is a significant vertical lift happening. Yeah. No, I think what happens is you get the plumping. Exactly. So that plumping will appear to and be more lifted and tighter. You get better skin yeah. and, and you can create an appearance of lift. Yeah. But I think sometimes that's oversold. Yeah. You know, some people come in and their you know, their expectations have been so inflated by by the yeah. you know, the, the, the propaganda almost that's out there. That I'm like, look, you know, it's a great treatment, but we're going to have to kind of dial it back <laughs> in what you think you're going to get it's out of it. It's not going to cut the skin off. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so with Botox, like I love Botox. Mm-hmm. I've been having Botox you since I both. was 24. <laughs> like I'm, I, but I had to cut down a little bit on it because I found it was dropping my eyebrows um, just because of the placements now. It's a very interesting topic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell me your, because I don't have a clue. Obviously, I'm Mm -hmm. not aesthetics. I'm not medical. I don't have a clue. So you tell me what you think. Yeah. So in essence, um, Botox, it's just a muscle relaxer. That's all it does. You inject it in muscles and it relaxes them. Yeah. So people thinking that it's going to cause like any sort of lifting effect or vertical displacement, that's absolutely not true. We can't do that. But what we can do is the muscles that pull the brow down, like the frown yeah. in the cross feet areas, yeah. you know, the procerus and the orbicularis for the yeah. medical <laughs> ones here, um, they pull the brow down. So if we eliminate that downward pull, then when we're smiling and speaking and expressing ourselves, we will obviously have a more higher position of the yeah. brow if we don't pull that down. Yeah. Then some people, they don't really have that activ- activity in those muscles that pull downwards so if you botox them they're saying that oh it's going to lift your brow a bit it probably won't because they're not really using the muscle all too much the okay. people that really pull that tail down or yeah. pull that center down when they're talking and expressing themselves they're going to be very happy because they have a very high activity of the downward pull yeah so eliminating that is obviously going to give an appearance of of, of lifting yeah then when it comes to the forehead that is the elevator muscle you okay, know that yeah, that yeah. lifts yeah. The, the brow up. So that's where we need to be careful knocking that out. Because yeah. if you, you know, if you eliminate that function too much, you're going to get 
a heavy, low, flat brow. Yeah. So what you do there is you have to find the right height because you want to knock out the top part of it without knocking out the bottom third. Yeah. This is a generalization because yeah, it's a bit yeah. different for everyone. Some yeah. people are more sensitive there. Some people are stronger. Yeah. Some people react to it. Some people have really a lot of activity high up in the muscle and none low and vice versa. So this is really one of the muscles that I find has the biggest variation. So yeah. I always kind of make people bounce their brows up and down and you see kind of where the movement is, yeah. where the wrinkles are. And then you can kind of decide how low can I go before risking the heaviness there because okay, you, know, okay. you want a little bit of that muscle action okay. in the lower third and that's kind of how sometimes you get a bit of a heavy brow that means that the injection was a little bit too low for you so then when next time when you go just yeah get a little bit higher okay so that is it's actually bringing up a good point because a lot of people when they get a heavy brow would mm. say oh i'm not going to go back and get it done exactly, again like, oh it's not for me yeah like, i don't like the way that it looks yeah. yeah it's the same with bad lip filler you know people get bad lip filler and they're like oh no i don't like the way that looks well you yeah. haven't had it done right you yeah know, i've had my lips done two weeks ago and i'm sure you really? didn't tell there you go no exactly well it's, i agree with you because um one of the injectors i had at the clinic like he was so good it was so natural mm. you wouldn't even notice exactly. and that is the key thing is like just doing it without exactly being obvious um and so with botox how often should it be getting done i know this is like um well it's very different for everyone yeah. generally we say um, no sooner than three months, you know, that's, that's the yeah. time you want to leave it because otherwise they say you could build resistance to it, which obviously we don't want. Yeah. Um, I tend to hyper concentrate, meaning I use slightly higher concentrations yeah. than is indicated because I find that it lasts a little bit longer. Yeah. So then I'm, I always tell people, look, we're hoping to get four months out of yeah. it because that already makes a difference between doing it three times a year or doing it four times a year, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a big difference. Like you're yeah. paying a little bit more, but you're taking less time out of your day to go yeah. up and down. And you also need less top-ups if you do it that way. Yeah. You do need to be more precise because yeah. if you cause a problem, it's, it's also going to last longer. <laughs> but then again, you know, that's on me. That's the responsibility that I take with my yeah. experience. Um, and then I have some people that have it last five, six months, and they only come twice uh, a year. Some yeah. very lucky ones, their Botox lasts up to eight months sometimes. Imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not me, unfortunately. No. With me, it's always like three, three and a half on the dot. Um, okay. But yeah, the 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 variation there is, is huge. Yeah. And you were speaking about threads earlier. Not a fan. Yeah. Not a fan. So we have PDOs. Mm -hmm. We have Silhouette Soft, where mm -hmm. that's disappeared too. I yeah. don't know, because that's just gone. Uh, yeah, like I, think that I think the new one has taken over. What's the name? I don't know. Um, God, I, can't, I can't think of it. But there's like a new one that's kind of coming out yeah this Good new no it's 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 been out for a while but yeah. it's like the new popular thread but i can't i can't come up with the name yeah uh, and i've tried them all and just in yeah. the end of the day the thing is when you've i remember my first silhouette soft training and this is like four years ago yeah. i think um, Im immediately after, it looks so good. I'm like, I've reinvented the facelift. You yeah. know, plastic surgeons can pack their bags. Yeah. I can do this now. And three months later, you're seeing the patient for a review. And we're just both looking at each other like, is, is this it? Like, just yeah. it's like a bit awkward because you, it's, it's not a fun process to go through. No, like it's, it's not. It's not comfortable. You've got a lot of swelling, a lot yeah. of discomfort and tightness afterwards. Yeah. And it looks pretty lifted for like two weeks 
two months if you're lucky. Yeah. Then everything just comes back down because think of it this way. What are you doing? You're inserting a thread in mm -hmm. the skin subcutaneously in the fat yeah. and then you're pulling it out of the skin yeah there's some cogs in so you can pull it and the skin bunches up a little bit yeah this is the most mobile skin yeah you know that's constantly moving do you really think those cogs are going to hold anything up it's just going to slide back over slide back down there's no point of suspension yeah. like there is with a facelift or a brow lift they stitch it down to the periosteum or to the connective tissues there's a point of suspension yeah. that keeps those tissues up. Stuck. If you just go in the skin and out of the skin, there's no point of suspension. Uh, yeah. Why would that stay up? Because you're you're attaching laxity to laxity. Yeah. So you're more you're actually doing the puff again. You're like puffing it out a yeah. bit by stimulating I collagen. Mean that, but that's that, it. That short effect of kind of pulling the yeah. skin together with those cogs. Yeah. It looks lifted. Tighter. It does. Yeah. But. Due to the movement, both in the lower and upper face, it's just going to slide back down over that thread. It's not going to go anywhere. And then you've got this thread in your face, scar tissue around it. It's going to yeah. make future surgery more difficult. And, yeah. uh, and I always say, you know, if your facelift surgeon has to work around your threads, um, then you're lucky because they've probably done it a lot of times before and they can manage and yeah. you know, might impact your result a little bit. But what if you actually have a medical issue? Yeah. And a non-plastic surgeon has to go in your face or your neck or your forehead for God knows whatever reason. Yeah. They might not know how to deal with it quite the same. Yeah. And an emergency might be exacerbated because they're dealing with this scar tissue or this misplaced anatomy uh, yeah. due to some thread you got maybe 10 years ago. And in an emergency situation, that could be very dire with the surgeon that's not experienced to work around that sort of stuff. Yeah, that is scary. And people don't think about that. Yeah, no, I didn't because I was offering it in the clinic where um surgeon was doing it mm -hmm. and um i was the same i was like oh my god it's amazing, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, i yeah. was like i'm getting it done as soon as my face yeah, 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 needs yeah. it um but then it kind of disappeared Lo lockdown happened so mm -hmm. then nothing was being done mm -hmm. and um then yeah so uh, it kind of disappeared after yeah, that nobody yeah. wanted it yeah but then when you start seeing those patients again you're like oh where did, you know where did that lift go <laughs> you know all this skin <laughs> is back all the brows are back down and you're like okay and it's a lot of money to invest for something that's that risky. Yeah. And that has just, it's not predictable. There's no longevity there. And there's no scientific basis of why it would actually lift. Yeah. So what do you love? What do you love? Um, I mean, I'm I'm just a fillers and Botox guy. Yeah. You know, tried and tested. We've been doing that stuff for years and years, decades. Yeah. Uh, I've got my Morpheus aid. I've got some laser, you know, stuff yeah. like that. But all the, the, the gimmicks, the new stuff. Yeah. I, if I feel like there's something that has potential, yeah, I will trial it. Yeah, usually on myself first, or some you know some volunteer models. Yeah, but I am extremely skeptic. Like I've been quoted in some magazines saying like, look, eighty percent of aesthetics is complete. You know, yeah, Fugazi. Yeah, <laughs> there is. See, the thing is, is there's a little bit of it whereas you're kind of making people feel good. You're stimulating collagen circulation, stimulating. Yeah. You know, you're. You're given a pick me up, nothing long term. But the problem is, is the way it's been sold. It's yeah. been sold as if like it's going to take ten years or five years off you. Yeah, it'll yeah. make you look younger for seventy two hours. You know yeah. that kind of way. Some yeah, of that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, but you know, it's interesting that you say that because you know what else is oversold, and I think this is always such a really unscientific thing that people stimulating collagen. Yes. There's very different types of collagen, and there's yeah. very different ways to stimulate collagen. You know what else stimulates collagen? radiotherapy for cancer treatments yeah you know it causes massive fibrosis tissues stuck together 
that's collagen stimulation. Yeah. You know, you don't yeah. want that in the body. But some of these injections actually do provide that sort of like tethered fibrotic scar tissue. And then they're like, well, we've stimulated your collagen. Like, yeah, I'm sure you have. You know, if, if someone were to come in here and, you know, cut, cut my face, yeah. they're stimulating my collagen. <laughs> you know, but they're not they're necessarily doing me any favors aesthetically. Yeah. And there's even the flip side to that, because then you have like some treatments which stimulate just immune collagen, just like, yeah. you know, I've been like just superficially cut and it's like, oh, I've stimulated your collagen. Well, actually, it's just uh, like a, a five minute. Mm -hmm. quick fix and yeah. that's it it's yeah, not yeah. long-lasting collagen yeah. that's what you have with the little pdo threads like they're relatively harmless yeah but you're putting so many of these threads in right? you could probably just get like six sessions of microneedling and get a very similar result without yeah. all the trauma and 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 all the you know the the money spent on yeah. those like hundreds of threads that they sometimes put in the face. Yeah, and also I feel the same with PRP. I think it's a it's a lot of mm -hmm. like hassle for something that's quite similar that you'll get the, with skin. The, the main issue with PRP for skin, not yeah. so much for hair, because for hair it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. But for skin, usually the longevity. Okay. Like you get a really, really nice glow. Yeah. But just it's the making it last that's yeah. that's difficult. Like you get you know, if it's done really, really well, yeah, get like two, three months out of it, yeah. But any more than that, it's tricky. Yeah. And the one of the main issues I find with PRP is people inject it too deeply. You really need to be so superficially in the dermis because otherwise you're just completely losing it, and your lymphatic drainage just swoops it away. And yeah. that's also another issue why a lot of people say that PRP in the hair doesn't work because they're injecting it at four, uh, like three, four millimeters. Yeah. Like, well, that's where the follicles are, yeah. not knowing that the follicles are actually embedded in the basal lamina. That yeah, because it makes you know, the hair, yeah. It's like reticulated. And if you're at four millimeters, you're injecting through that more yeah. often than not. And the PRP cannot migrate through the basal lamina. It's not, it's, it can't yeah. penetrate through that. So you're basically losing everything down to the scalp, where again, the lymphatics will take it away yeah whereas if you inject it extremely superficially almost in the epidermis yeah then it's gonna drop down to the into cells. that yeah onto that basal lamina and yeah. then it can flow down into the follicle so you'll get a much better result that makes, and makes much more, more retention yeah if you inject it as superficially as you can because then it flows into the follicles whereas otherwise you're gonna miss more than half yeah. the follicles and that's gonna just fall down on on the deeper tissue and gets washed away and then you're not going to get a significant yeah. result out of it and are you doing a lot of men now for receding hairlines and Absolutely. stuff Absolutely. yeah Man. it's huge right now men all the huge. all the finance guys <laughs> 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 it's true you know they've got high-paced yeah. stressful jobs they don't sleep well yeah the, you know it's the it's a bit stereotypical but it's true these guys are losing hair at a really fast pace they've got yeah. like 26 27 year olds working for the you know the the, the big ones out there in, in yeah. city uh, and yeah. they they're all losing hair. Yeah, and they they do not want to lose that that early. Yeah, um, and then they come in for PRP. Yeah, because they they people like men don't realize they kind of go oh no those are kind of woman things and then then once you kind of hear mm. more and more yeah. then it kind of builds yeah, up. Yeah, and the the great thing about male patients is they have a much bigger beauty budget. Yeah, you know, woman they get they need to get their 
eyebrows done, they need their lashes, they need the extensions, the hair, the nails, yeah, all that money. You know, it's it's a couple hundred to sometimes you know a thousand something per per month yeah. that they're spending on all of this. Yeah. So like, oh, and then you need to spend like another five hundred on PRP or another yeah. you know, six hundred on fillers. Whereas men, most men, they don't really have a beauty budget. They might yeah. have some skincare at home, but that's it. You know, for the rest, they're not really getting much done. Yeah. So they're like, okay, you know, if I spend, you know, the build up is like thousand five hundred over three months, and then it's just five hundred, what, two, three times a year? Yeah. For their hair, they're like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Is it only two, three times a year then? Yeah, I get it about two, three times a yeah. year for the, and uh, I do, which is also amazing, uh, Caravive in between. I don't know if you've heard of that. No. It's like the hydrofacial, but for your scalp. Okay, I think I've seen it being done. Yeah, it's really lovely. So basically, it's like an exfoliation of yeah. the scalp, get the dead skin cells and the dirt and everything yeah. out of there, uh, which kind of is refreshing for the follicle. And then they have some synthetic growth factors yeah. that they use with like an infusion head to infuse into the follicles. Uh, as well, also very superficially from the outside, gets kind of yeah. pressed into the follicle, get a really nice result out of that. that Especially if you're prone to like dry and itchy scalps, yeah, which I am. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that is, um, I see that everywhere. The scalp cameras, scalp is such a huge thing right it's now. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that actually brings me on to something that I wanted to ask you about was exosomes. Are they going to be as huge as everyone is thinking they're going I to be. I think they're very promising. Yeah. I'm one of those people, like I said, I'll wait and see for now yeah. and let everyone else try the exosomes on their patients. Yeah. And then very soon, as with anything, yeah. we're going to find which ones are good, which ones are medium, and which ones are yeah. you know, not worth it. Because yeah. as with anything, there's going to be quality, you know, differences. But there's copies out there already. The two. Yeah. Um, but I do think there is a place in, in exosomes in, yeah. in the future of aesthetics. They seem to be very user friendly. They yeah. seem to be very low risk so far. Yeah. Um, so I think both for like skin and hair, there's yeah. probably going to be a place for that. Because even or okay, so like I wouldn't say it will be, but they're already talking about putting exosomes in skincare. Now for me, it's not going to do anything in skincare because it's mm. it like getting past the barrier and yep. all that kind of stuff. But then I've heard it with skin needling. Then I've heard it with pressurized guns and stuff like that. <coughs> and some of the results that they're coming out with look like. I really think strong. I think micro needling or direct injection at this point to me makes the most sense. Yeah. Because that's the only way you're gonna stamp that into the skin. Just lathering it on is a, if if there hasn't been any like previous micro needling. Yeah. I don't think there's gonna be a significant penetration. There's probably some stuff that'll get in through like yeah. pores and stuff, but that is always much less than you would think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't I don't quite think there's a place. A significant place for it in in um, topical skincare, yeah. but in treatments like injectable treatments, microneedling treatments, or you know like the sonic stuff. I have I have the same for my um, for my CO two laser. It comes with this sonic gun, which you can yes. afterwards use to kind of use those ultrasound waves to push products into those pores that you've created. And do you think um, it works? Really? Yeah, yeah, stuff like that has got medical data behind yeah. it, you know. Because that's what I'm going to talk about, um, a one that's pressurized air. Target cool? Ooh, but that I think is tricky because then you're back into the territory of those filler guns, you know, the needle, 
needle-free fillers that were a thing. That uh, yeah, that was just before was lockdown. That was terrible. They were doing Absolute it on the disaster. lips. Why? Because people are like, oh, needle-free. That's amazing. I don't like needles. Yeah. The needle is the instrument of precision, even more so than a cannula in in most areas. You can really be like this is exactly where I want my filler to be. Yeah. Whereas if you're using just air, you're basically saying somewhere perpendicularly down this line is where my filler is going to end up. Yeah. What if there's a blood vessel there? Yeah. You're going to shoot it straight in there and you're not going to know what happened or why. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, and then a lot of beauticians were doing this because it's needle-free and it's supposedly safer. It's so much more dangerous. You know, Canada even banned it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the UK regulation is. Well, I think it it's is. gone now. Well, it should be because it's the worst idea <laughs> in aesthetics. You know, it's, it's ridiculously dangerous just blindly shooting stuff in there. You don't know how deep it's going to get there. Yeah. You don't know how much it's going to be. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. There, there was, I remember that coming up with it. Um, it was, there was a lot of side effects and everything with yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, even just aesthetically, like I saw some of these lips, you're basically... You know, it's like it's like you go clay pigeon shooting and like you bird shot into the <laughs> lip and see what sticks, you know, and and that's exactly what it looked like. You know, yeah. this really granular, uneven uh, yeah. distribution. And then they're like, oh, no, but you need to massage it more. Like, no, you don't. You need to put it in correctly. It's uh, it was yeah. uh, it was a wild time. Those uh, <laughs> injection pens. Yeah. Um, so. skincare. started saying something there now. What? Skincare are you using in your clinic? Um, very, very wide variety. We use a lot of uh, Skin Better Science. We okay. got the Zeto, yeah. um, Obagi stuff, yeah. Skin Ceuticals. It really kind of depends on, first of all, you know what the patient's budget is, what yeah. they're looking to achieve. Yeah. Um, but there's something for everyone. And how do you feel about the effectiveness of what you're suggesting to people to what they're buying in boots? One of the main things that irk me is if people has like, oh, I have this product. It's amazing. It's from La Mer. And I'm like, <laughs> that is exactly the same stuff that is in a jar of Nivea, yeah. but you're paying 400 yeah. pounds for it. Whereas if you have something like, let's say, Skin Better Science, yeah. and you've got prescription strength stuff, you know, you can't buy that in a store because the active the level of active ingredients is too high. Yeah, and it'll be like. 120 yeah. for three, four months. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, this other cream is moisturizer and some very lovely fragrances in it. Yeah. But not really any amount of active ingredients that's going to do anything besides keep your skin slightly moisturized. And yeah. then here's the thing many of those creams, the, the really expensive over the counter ones, they make your skin lazy because they yeah. take over the function, the hydrating function yeah. of our oil glands. Um, so that when they stop, people are like, oh, my skin is so dry. I really need this La Mer. Otherwise, I, my skin is too dry because you're crippling your yeah. your own homeostasis there. Yeah, 100%. Like, I've always, always, always believed in that. But, like, you're putting an emollient on your skin. You're putting an oil. The oil is already there. Your body goes, I don't need to make it. And then it comes off. And, like, the, the La Mer one, really, it gets me because it's like you're spending so... If you go out and buy Nivea, mm -hmm. you deserve what you get. You're, like, paying for it. You know exactly what yeah, you're going to yeah, get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you go buy La Mer, you think... You you're getting something yeah, good yeah, yeah. and you're paying this for and you're actually making your skin worse yeah yeah exactly and it does yeah it's but so it's like you know it's 
it's kind of like the nicotine, you know, they think they need it because without it, they're going to go crazy because yeah. the skin is dry because it's crippled. Yeah. And then you need to rehabilitate that. Yeah. Uh, that's why these medical grade products are just, yeah. they're first of all, they're surprisingly cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> and they actually take care of your skin. Yeah. Instead of having, you know, what's like a Ponzi scheme of skincare where you need to start keep feeding into it to get anything out of it. Yeah, know? it's so true. Yeah, because I do, I love Skizio. Like I do, it's a lighter version of Obaji, but like no. I, 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 but I use the skin better signs at night. Yeah. And then the Zeta went in the morning. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Like if you're going to put like 50 or 100 pounds into the product, you might as well do that rather than spend 20 pounds on something that makes your skin worse yeah. and isn't even going to get anywhere or doesn't go past it's anything. It's a very just frustrating sits. conversation to have day in, day yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And like because you have such there's such a huge amount of like influencers and social media that push the like cosmetic push the it's it's a it's struggle i always say if there's too many influencers on a clinical page it's a huge red flag yeah because yeah. it means that they need that to drag in clientele like all yeah. of the best doctors that i'm following colleagues yeah. of mine friends of mine can't remember the last time i've seen them post an influencer yeah it's yeah it's just i i barely i did it a little bit when i was just um you know just growing my page yeah but haven't for the longest time and your opinion on CeraVe on what CeraVe you know the uh, everyone is we're using the it's basically like what everybody who's been through the NHS is the CeraVe hydrating cleanser CeraVe C E or A it might I have be my to say accent I haven't heard of it mm. it's like mm. typical UK NHS based um yeah. like very general cleansers that mm. all go out but like they're my big thing is two things one mm -hmm. the moisturizer like you say if you feel it on your skin if it's sitting there then it's not going anywhere and then it's just making your skin lazy the second thing is this if you use a cleanser and your skin yeah. feels squeaky clean there's a problem like yeah, if yeah, that's yeah, yeah. tightening and that CeraVe has the exact same thing yeah I mean the NHS <laughs> <laughs> could go on and on and on about that uh it's just it's such a tragically broken system for yeah so many different ways yeah um first of all the doctors aren't allowed to really practice medicine anymore they're you know they're ticking boxes and following protocols and they've had their medical autonomy stripped from them i find which yeah. i think is not only insulting but is dangerous for the patients yeah. and for the 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 motivation of the doctors to do what they want to do and that's why there's such a massive efflux of providers nurses yeah. and doctors alike going out of the nhs because so little of it is still medical for them and still respects the 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 skills that they have spent years owning yeah. in, in in medical school or nursing school so it's just not rewarding why would you go through all that deal you know and and deal with patients and put yourself mm -hmm. at risk out there to just be like a a, a cog in a machine that yeah. is, that's had his own input stripped away from him it's it's horrible and do you find belgium is completely different the medical completely different really? belgium is the best um the best public medicine you can find anywhere it's public over there it's public 
and the public medicine you can get there yeah. is the same grade as the private you get here. Really? Absolutely. I had a, um, a really bad motorcycle accident about five years ago. Mm. Um, was in the hospital for two days. Had like pin, um, had my arm pin, everything, and I think I had to pay two hundred and fifty for the ambulance and eighty-seven for some for photographs. Really? And that was it. Jesus, because it's private in Ireland. I'm Irish, and um, I <laughs> <laughs> the accent, and um, it's. I went in with my appendix, and it was fifteen hundred pounds, and that was f- maybe fourteen, fifteen years ago. So, like, it's. But the the care, it wouldn't be NHS, but it wouldn't be too far off it, even Ooh, though it's private. That's, that's rough. Oh, they put me, they gave me amoxicillin, even though I'm allergic to penicillin. So I started getting sick and I was in the store cupboard, like literally in the store cupboard on a bed. And they were coming in and out getting stuff while I was getting sick from the medication they gave me while I had to wait. I think it was six (laughs) hours. Yeah. And that's that's private. That's brutal. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's I don't necessarily think just because it's private, it's better. No, absolutely not. Structure. Absolutely not. There has to be a very nice balance between obviously financial support from the government because these things you know they cost a fortune to run a hospital without too much involvement from the government itself and that is one of the main things where i feel like the nhs is really messing up is everything they demand a level of structure from the top down that should be more the decision of the doctors that are running the hospital and in Belgium that is more the case the yeah. hospital is more run independently yeah. by doctors and a board with you know there's certain rules from the government and you get yeah. funding from the government but the actual direct involvement yeah. is much less whereas the NHS all the hospitals are just directly run yeah. by government by the NHS which is a government program yeah. So I think that's where you're losing a lot of efficiency because the government is built to be kind of, you know, an administrative layer upon layer upon layer yeah, upon layer. Box. And you just lose way too much money that could be spent on patient care. Yeah. Yeah. In in that kind of, you know, like the trickle down and whatever's left at the bottom for the patients and the doctors is just not enough to provide good health care. And all those levels in the middle you can miss like 70% of that if you just give a little bit more autonomy to each hospital individually, have them set up their medical board and have them make more decisions on their own. Yeah, and do you think that would change if it was bought out completely? I think it's it's very, it's looking very bleak because if you buy that out, yeah. the first thing that's going to happen is people are going to be like, how do we get a return on our investment how do we make this profitable so a lot of it will be slashed like a lot of the useless admin in between will be slashed which is always what happens when anything government based goes private yeah yeah Uh, they find like wow this is wholly inefficient because that's the frustrating thing there's no incentive for a government to be efficient because there's no alternative yeah you know yeah sure there's you know, you can vote for another party, but you know, in the end of the day, they're all pretty much the same. So yeah. there's no alternative. So yeah. they have no incentive to be efficient. Yeah. Because they're gonna get the money anyway because it's tax. Yeah. Um, and then you have to see when it was private, which of these are redundant. How can we strip this? Yeah. Which 
is a good idea, but then they're also going to see how can we maximize the profit to get back the money that we put into this. Yeah. So I don't know if the financial optimization will, in the end of the day, benefit the patient instead of the private institution. Yeah, because they're still looking for a profit. Yeah. Yeah, I So it'll really depend on who is buying that out and what their ethos and morals are. Yeah, what their reason is. Yeah, why to buy into the NHS. Yeah. But it's already some of it sold. Oh really? So I yeah. I didn't know that. From two years ago, some of it sold out but already. How does that work? How do you sell some of the NHS? Which isn't it they've given away they've sold um like rights to stuff and that, like sectors of it. Like not NHS but like parts of it. Okay, but in the end of the day, if you outsource like part yeah. of the service, you're not really going to address the issue yeah. that is the NHS. Yeah. You're just going to, if anything, you risk adding another step to yeah. things where some information has to go out of it and then back into it, yeah. which is going to probably be with you know more transactions yeah. which then incorporate, like com um, involves a company that also yeah. needs to make their profit, so you risk actually making it worse doing it that way. Yeah. That's my you know simple understanding yeah. of... of no, it is in fairness. It's it's it the the simple way is the straight way. It's just like people will make excuses of why this isn't being done and this should be done this way yeah. and everything like that. But really, it should be run like it needs to be the administrative aspect of it needs to be gutted. Yeah, and more focus should be on the doctors. They should yeah. get more autonomy. Junior doctors should get paid a ton more because they are well within reason to be obsessed yeah. <laughs> about, you know, what are, what are they getting now, 14? I don't know, but it's terrible. Like, Ireland is, like, so much more money. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, there's, this is funny, because um, there's, there was an article recently, uh, and this was New York-based, but about um, that people are just quitting to becoming things like dog walkers. You know, my... I have a friend there, and her dog walker makes about a thousand, uh, hundred twenty thousand per per year, just walking dogs. Walking a dog. Walking a dog. <laughs> oh gosh. And I bet there's some in London, central London, that make very, very good money. Yeah. There's a lot of people there with dogs, you know, with intense work schedules. Yeah. Who have you know, around the clock care for apparently. Yeah. And that's what you're gonna get into if people are like, well, you're putting yourself at a lot of risk. Yeah. Uh, you're going through a lot of stress. You went through. Uh, long expensive education you're paying for expensive insurance yeah what 14 an hour i wouldn't do it no. uh, and then and the the alternatives out there you could you know you could pick up almost pick up a trade and make better money than that for far less risk for sure, you don't need to work nights yeah. you don't need to be on call you're not yeah. at risk of you know with you're not playing with people's health yeah it's you're not going to yeah because e even like Th that's why aesthetics has become so huge Absolutely. because so many of them have just moved out. Yeah, they're just being pretty much bullied out of the, the, yeah. the system that helps patients into a you know private profit-based yeah. industry. Yeah, I know. It's all doom and gloom. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for coming on and thank sharing everything me. with us. It's been really interesting, especially with the treatments and everything like that. And thank yeah, you. thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. It was very, very <laughs> lovely.